great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money each and every day. Coming up in just a few minutes, I want to fill you in on a scam that is growing exponentially. It's where you end up giving up personal and billing information, thinking you're dealing with legit people. I'm going to tell you what to look out for because this one's nasty. It's been making a lot of money for the crooks. And later yet, there's a number of things that have changed with 529 accounts. Those are the college savings plans where you can save money tax-free and spend it tax-free on college. There's a lot of new wrinkles with 529 plans. I want to make sure you're up to date on those. So I want you to think about it. If you have health insurance, what is your policyholder number? It's not your social security number, although I remember when it used to be. Mine is one that's like a number followed by, I'm not going to get my number on the air, followed by five uh, digits. So I got an alpha followed by five numerics, and that's my medical record number. And that's great because it's only when I'm with that insurer and when I change insurance companies or whatever, I'll have a new one. So it's not like your social security number that follows you everywhere. Medicare, on the other hand, has resisted for 15 years changing your Medicare number from your Social Security number to a randomized number. And people called me for years, what am I to do? You tell me not to carry my Social Security card with me. I'm now Medicare eligible. What am I supposed to do? Well, now you have to worry about that anymore. Because starting in the spring, you are going to receive a new Medicare card if you're a Medicare recipient. If you have a family member who's in the Medicare program, make sure they're aware that this is not a scam. There is a new card coming with a new number. I now have the uh, the new card number procedures by state and when they're going to be available to you. The first places in the United States will start receiving new cards in April, May, June. And then others are going to receive them from June to all the way till April of next year. So in terms of who's getting them first, I'll just hit you with the states that are going to get them first. Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, Alaska, California, Hawaii, Oregon, Arkansas, Illinois. No, I'm sorry, that was it. Oregon was the last one. I mentioned Arkansas and Illinois. They're part of the group. And the rest of the states that will not be receiving replacement Medicare cards till after June of this year 
And the rollout for the rest of the states will run, again, all the way from after June of this year till April of 2019. But eventually, there will be no more Social Security numbers on Medicare cards. When this first came up was when I was receiving calls in our off-air center that you can call for advice over 40 hours each week that people were getting notices that they had to pay for their replacement card with the new randomized number. You do not. It is free and will be sent to you in the normal course of government business. Kim is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kim. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, Kim. You have an either-or question for me that usually involves more than an either-or answer. Okay, yes, I have a question about purchasing a vacation slash retirement house in the next three to four years and the best way to focus my money until then. Um, My husband and I currently own our house. We have about eight and a half years left on our current mortgage. We do have separate checking accounts, and he pays our current mortgage. So my question is, do I help double the payment on our current mortgage and pay off our house in about four, four and a half years and then start focusing on the vacation mortgage? Or do I start putting that money into savings and work towards purchasing the vacation house sooner? Wow, that is that is a fascinating question because it doesn't have a simple, easy answer. <laughs> right. So the home you live in that you're that you have the eight years left, what mortgage interest rate do you have? It's three point two five. Oh, that's so low. That is so low. Right. I hate for you to accelerate paying on a loan that low. Then at the same time, if you put money in an online savings account, today you'll earn like uh, the best of them, like 1.65%. Okay. So you'd earn half of what you're paying on your existing mortgage. So, but the problem is, is if you keep accelerating paying on your mortgage, what money will you have for down payment on the vacation slash retirement home? Well, my plan was to still save, I'm still put about $500 away into savings. So in about five, six years, then I could have the money um, for the down payment. So I would continue to save some money, but not as much. Hmm. Okay. So this I, there is not an automatic, this is what you should do to your question. So I'm going to give you the the benefits of each. Okay. So today, if you were to put the additional money towards the mortgage, you're, you know the return you're getting. Right. And it would be double, as I said, the best you could do on savings. But savings rates have been steadily rising and they're going to continue to. Okay. And there's more inflation showing in the economy and the Federal Reserve will do things that will raise interest rates over time. So even though today what you earn in savings is not nearly as good as the direct benefit of paying prepaying on the mortgage, 
with the cycle of time you have, I would actually prefer for you to pay the mortgage as agreed, okay. not rush to pay that off. If you have a low loan balance left at the time, you're going to buy a vacation home, fine. And put your money in an online savings account and let that build up because when you buy a second home, you need to have a substantial down payment available for that. Right. It's different than a primary residence. Right. And you have more flexibility the more cash you have on hand. So even though you're going to go negative a little bit each month, the interest you're going to earn versus the interest you're paying, I think it's better and more flexible for you to just stash that cash in savings. Okay. okay. And do you have one of the, they call them high interest savings accounts, but they're not, I wouldn't call that high interest. Do you have one of those yet? Um, I do not. Right. So all the savings you do should be in one of those online banks that are insured up to $250,000. Okay. And they're pretty easy to find. One of the easy ways to do so is go to bankrate.com and click on savings rates uh-huh. and look through the list and you'll see who's paying the best on savings. Okay, okay. And just send that cash in there. You link it to your existing checking account you have at a bank or credit union, and you can move the money at will. Usually two days it takes to cycle in and out is you need the money. Because I would want you to have a lot of cash for that down payment. Right, okay. Especially because a second home is going to carry a higher interest rate than your first home. Okay, all right. So that's how I would handle it. But again, that's how I would do it. It's not one of those things that's like green light, absolutely do this. Red light, absolutely don't do that. This doesn't fit that kind of question and answer. Charlie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Charlie. You got a call that you want to make sure your fellow listeners aware of. I did. What happened? Well, I was minding my own business at work, and I got this call from an organization that uh, wanted to put me down for a donation, and uh, they were so normal about the whole thing and sounded like a noble, a noble organization to donate to. But uh, I immediately was kind of triggered that, you know, this was probably not legit. So I just, uh, I, I told him, I said I was not interested and, you know, hung up the phone. Then I started thinking, well, you know, I, some people need to know. I had the phone number that they called in on. I said, other people need to know about this because this is obviously a, a scam that was calling, calling in to me. So I really didn't have any other place to turn. Well, um, well, you turned the right place. So in general terms, what kind of good works were they claiming they were up to? They were wanting to raise funds for um, local, local agencies to, to uh, raise money for, uh, to provide them for equipment and materials uh, to do their jobs. So you're talking about uh, public safety kind of agencies or? Yes. Okay. Public safety agencies. All right. So that is a very common scam call. 
There are also calls you'll get from professional fundraisers that are collecting money for public safety officer unions, and they're not actual charities. There's both kinds that call. By the way, the professional fundraisers that are raising money for uh, public safety unions generally take almost 100% of the money they raise anyway. But the thing with the phony charity calls is I've got a way to handle it that usually will get rid of them pretty quickly. And all you say is, oh, I I don't ever give money over the phone, but if you want to send me literature on your organization, I'll be happy to give you an address. And usually at that point, you won't have to hang up on them. They'll hang up on you. Right. I I thought about that after the call, uh, but I guess what really bothered me was that, that this is the sort of thing that it was it was so such a normal call that it would be so easy for somebody to just say, okay, yeah, sure, I'd like to donate to this cause. Sure. And when I got off, I really did. I mean, I've, I've been a party of, of identity theft in the last three months and also oh, I'm sorry. E- e-check fraud and, and all that. And in those cases, I had places to turn. You know, I was actually a victim of these, these scammers. And, and there's really nothing like that with the phony charities. So what what my thing has been is that the best way to handle it is there are three organizations that track legitimate charities. Mm-hmm. And not only do they tell you what charities are legit, but they also tell you whether they spend their money well, because it could be a legitimate group and they still spend way too much money on fundraising and things like that not the service delivery. And so they're at uh, give.org, charitynavigator.org, and charitywatch.org. With all these, you're able just to look down the sheet and see, oh, they're not on here, they're not okay. And then you never will be taken by somebody who's phony trying to collect money under false pretenses. I appreciate, Charlie, you smelling a rat, and not giving any money to them. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something I talked about late summer, early fall, and it is just mushrooming, and I got to make sure you are aware and you don't get taken by this particular scam. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. New report in the Arizona Republic about the Netflix scam is popping up all over the country. The way this scam works is, I don't know if it's every person in America at this point, because I've gotten it several times, is getting an email that looks exactly, exactly like it's from Netflix. And the email tells you that your account is being deactivated. Well, first of all, only 60 million Americans or so have Netflix accounts. So a lot of people are going to say, what's this about? I don't have a Netflix account. And they'll just delete it. But what if you have a Netflix account and you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to watch my Netflix. And so you click on the link, which, again, takes you to a place that looks exactly like a Netflix landing page for billing information. And you click on that, and they have you put in your username and password. They have you update your billing information. 
And before you know it, think of everything the criminals have from you, and there was nothing wrong with your Netflix account to start with. And this type of phony phishing scam is so common for so many different things, so many different kinds of services. But Netflix, for some reason, it must work so well for the criminals, has been a key target for at least half a year. You get an email from any organization saying, update your account or whatever. Do not click on any link in that email. Go to your web browser, type in the name of whatever service it is like Netflix, sign into your account there, and you'll see if there really is something going on almost always you'll realize it was just a scam email. Thanks for joining us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. You can follow me at facebook.com slash clarkhoward, and clark.com is our main website. So there are some things that I want to make sure you're aware of that are changes in how 529 accounts work. First things first, there's an obscure provision that is one of those things that I'm going to talk about and you'll be like, wow, I wish I had that problem. So let's say you wanted to give some money to a relative. You actually be to anybody. There's a thing in tax law where you can give a set amount of money people each year and there's no gift tax involved there's no tax for either party you as the giver the other person is as a recipient and an inflation adjusts even though we haven't had much inflation the amount has now adjusted to 15,000 each year from what had been 14 so you could give a family member $15,000 they can do with it whatever they want no harm to you, no foul, whatever, as long as you can afford to give up that money. So for 529 accounts, there's a provision that a lot of grandparents have done where they donate money into a 529 account for the benefit typically of a grandchild, and there's a waiver to the ceiling of that $15,000 and if you're loaded with money and you want to really know you've helped out your grandkids, you can put all at once $75,000, up to $75,000, into a 529 account, and there's no gift tax issues for you at all because that's a 529 plan waiver from where the IRS would normally sit on you for giving that kind of money to one other individual. And you can repeat that if you're just, money keeps burning a hole in your wallet. Five years later, you can repeat it again. But it is a great strategy for a grandparent of means to be able to benefit a grandchild, but know that the grandparent still has control of the money. So if a grandkid decides, eh, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to go live in a commune in India or whatever whatever they would decide to do, you say, all right, well, that money I had for you, that's going to another grandkid now. And you just change the beneficiary again. No tax implications at all. Now, with 529 accounts, most often they're set up in 
small amounts of money contributed each month by a parent for the benefit of a child. And a big change that went into effect this year is a parent is allowed to contribute money to a 529 for a child and have it be spent not for college, but if you decide to send your kid to private school up through 12th grade, you can use it to defray part of the cost of tuition and do that tax-free. Now, where there's not an amount you're limited to that you can spend towards eligible college expenses each year, private school tuition from a 529 is capped at ten grand each year. Now, a lot of parochial schools have tuition levels that will fit that, but a lot of traditional private schools, depending on what part of the country you're in, range from twenty to forty-five thousand dollars a year. But you could use up to ten from the 529 and have no tax owed on it. Now, this is something that really should only be considered by ultra-high-income earners that are going to benefit from the tax-free growth of their money, are able to fund enormous amounts of money into a 529 account when a child is a newborn or up to age three, because money is best used, deferred, held in the account Till a child hits college. The reason is, is that you want as many years of tax-free growth as you can have, and then the tax-free spending. So if you are not someone who's got just boatloads of money, you wouldn't want to do this because you're taking money that could have gone to college way down the road that would not be there for college because you used it for private school and you missed a lot of the years of tax-free growth. So even though you're going to hear about doing this, and schools will probably send letters out saying, hey, you know, you can now use up to 10000 of your 529 money for our tuition that you owe for your kid. I'm recommending that that only be used sparingly for those that are in very high tax brackets and have big checks you can write in the first three years of a child's life. And by the way, if you're looking to set up a 529 plan, there are great ones, good ones, and rotten ones. I have a guide to the great and good ones on Clark.com. Just put in 529 and skip the ads that'll pop up from the results. And then you'll see my guide. Click on it. You'll have everything you need to know about setting up a 529 And you should be able to open one and fund it within like 10 minutes. And Charlie joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Charlie, welcome. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Certainly. What's going on, Charlie? I had a question about our credit union checking account. Um, A couple of banks in our area, including the one I'm calling about, uh, offer a high-interest checking account on balances up to $25,000, and that is a 2.1% APY, and keeping an average balance of 25000 in the account, you get about $45 a month in interest. Um, I just wanted to know what your thoughts on that were because of the risk of having a lot of money in your checking account if your debit card were to be stolen 
because you have to use your debit card 15 times a month in order to activate that interest. Right, and so the interest they're paying you is actually on the backs of the stores they have you go to, and as it will tell you in the literature, you must say when they ask credit or debit, you must say credit. Okay. Because that's how the credit union or the banks that offer this, that's how they make the huge money from those 15 debits that you do in a month. Because when somebody says, when a retailer asks you debit or credit, if you say debit, the retailer pays almost no fees at all for you using that debit card. But on the other hand, if you say credit and then uh, you run it that way, the retailer is having to pay massive fees to accept that card. And so what the credit union and banks do is they're rebating part of that to you and calling it interest, and they're paying it to you as interest, but it's really just passing on some of that fee income to you. So the question of risk. So uh, you always judge what you know you're going to receive versus the possibility that you'll have a problem. So since you know they're going to pay you 2.1%, and by the way, that should rise over this year, since you know they're going to pay you that versus the possibility that somebody would compromise your card, I would say that's a calculated risk worth taking. Okay. Because... We have a number of other accounts, like a money market, where we have the vast majority of our savings and like emergency fund but like our everyday spending money we keep that balance higher in that checking account to get that max amount of interest yeah so uh, you you're gonna hate what i said if you are one of the people whose account gets compromised and your money disappears then you got to do the paperwork to get the money put back and by the way the credit union has to give you that money back if the account gets compromised right so but there, there, it's just there hassle risk, factor but- Yes, so we'd get the money back, and we're not dependent on that money for our everyday bills. Then I'd say go for it. Okay, great. And, you know, if interest rates get back to more normal levels, Charlie, the interest rate on these checking accounts will rise back to where they were a decade ago, which is around 5%. Oh, wow. That'd be great. Yeah. So I love that you have... The piles of money you have, that means you are living on less than what you make. Keep that up. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hi, Clark. As a longtime listener, it's an honor to speak with you. Well, it's great to have you here. You have some advice for your fellow listener. Yes, I do. I'd like to preface this tip by saying that I'm an IT professional, so I'm used to doing things the good, the, the digital way, but... Being an older individual, I also try to remember that sometimes there's just no substitute for good old-fashioned real human being customer service. That is so true. And that was brought strongly to my attention of my wallet with a conversation I had about a year ago with a credit card representative regarding a promotional balance transfer offer. And uh, during that conversation, she said, always call when you do a balance transfer offer because we can offer you more attractive incentives if you talk to us in person. And that response kind of surprised me because usually it's the other way around, you know. Companies are offering incentives to move away from human interactive customer service. So uh, that was a surprising response. So the reason that happens is that there are a number of banking products 
that ultimately are extremely profitable for the bank. And balance transfer offers are one of those things. And right. often the people you talk to who are uh, selling various bank services, including various aspects of the credit card products, they receive incentive money or commissions for how many uh, how many gets they get. You know, get is an expression that you sure. know how many new uh, acquisitions they get. You're an acquisition in that environment, right. and so a human may be able to give you a superior offer, and they're motivated to do so because they're trying to hit a sales target, commission, or quota. And that's exactly why with any offer you get from a bank on a balance transfer that it's great to call in and say, I'm interested in this. Can you do better than this? Yes. I had to, I had to kind of press the issue because uh, first they just read me what the obligatory standard offered was on the online, but then when I suggested that the representative previously had said that, you know, she could do better, she says, well... Yeah, we can we can lower the rate by one percent and or not not the rate but the transfer fee, which uh, considering I was transferring a significant amount of money was about eighty bucks and in Oklahoma that's two tanks of, of gas. <laughs> well, you know, in parts of Oklahoma you can run your vehicle on natural gas. That's right. Yep. So, so that saved, so it saved me about eighty bucks and I thought, well, that's kind of reverse of what I thought would happen, you know. I figured they just uh, maintain the same rate as before but so what uh, happens in banks and i'm glad you're mentioning this what happens in banks is that when something is just a straight transaction the bank in the worst way wants you to do it automated right but when something involves a sales component the bank has no problem with you talking to a human in fact might want you to talk to a human because the close rate the ability to get that new customer is so much higher with the human interaction than it is just going to a computer or a phone app or whatever. Sure. That makes sense. So the interest rate you got on the balance transfer was what? Zero percent. For how long? Twelve months. Fantastic. You going to be yeah. able to wipe out a lot of that over the 12 months? That's been the plan for about the past couple of years, and I've just been jumping from one zero percent offer to the next, and you know, I pay a little bit of a transfer fee, but that beats double-digit uh, rates when the uh, promotional offer expires. So uh, that's been working out pretty well for me. Well, great. And I appreciate you bringing the human element into it because a lot of times I'll talk about stuff with banks saying, you don't need the humans. And this is an example where the humans can actually fatten your wallet. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Lewis is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lewis. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Lewis. You took a chance and tried one of the new delivery services from Costco. I did. You know, they offer tried, three at this point. Which one did you try? I took the uh, same-day delivery service. So basically, you go online, you um, pick out the things that you want, and within about two hours, somebody shows up to your door with all the boxes and containers and everything. And uh, it was a very great, easy-to-use, very simple process. And how much do you feel you spent extra buying through the same-day grocery delivery versus if you'd gone to the store and toted your own stuff home? You know, Clark, I, that's why I'm calling you. I really, um, you know, when I went on and looked at the prices, I was looking at each of the prices of each of the things. My wife and I were in town that day. Uh, we live in Jacksonville, Florida, and there's only one Costco. We're actually getting a second one this next week or two. Oh, there's so much, there's so much buzz in Jacksonville about the second Costco opening. And yes. it's funny, you you think that, I don't know, that Jacksonville had won the Super Bowl. There's so much excitement about the new Costco opening. It sure is. I mean, and, and the one where the, the old one's been is it's just a great area, but it's just a very congested location. And we were coming home from uh, running errands one day, and I said, you know, we need to stop at Costco and pick up, and it was... You know, Costco, you never can pick up one or two things. It always seems like you walk out with 10. And uh, so we, we went online, looked on our phones, picked out the 10 things, and I said, you know, I heard about this new service. Let's see what it looks like. So we did our best to shop out and see what, um, what was offered. Um, and we tried to figure out the price difference. And unfortunately, it, it's not real transparent. It looks like it's about the same as what we would have paid in the warehouse, but uh, that was our big question. We ended up ordering it. We spent about $200 worth of stuff. A lady showed up probably with about two hours later with all of our delivery items, you know, really nice, uh, friendly, smiling, helped us carry it all in, did a great job of it. But what I was wondering was, you know, how much more am I paying for that kind of service? It feels like it was pretty close to the same price, but is I think oh, I think overall you're spending about 10% more. And that's my back-of-the-envelope thing from looking at it to see if we wanted to do it at our house. And I'm so close to a Costco that I've not been willing to spend that. So, I mean, it's just because I'm cheap. But if you really want to crunch it for the things you buy, you've probably got some kind of receipt from that order. Next time you're willing to fight the traffic going to that Costco, just take the time to walk around and compare the prices, and you'll be able to make your own decision. Paying Costco plus 10%, though, is still cheaper than almost any other place you could ever buy your groceries. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast, that you had faith in the information and advice you get. You want more information from us? One of the best ways to get Clark Smart is with our free newsletters, Clark Daily, Clark Deals, and Travel Escape. Sign up now 
you'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. Go to Clark.com newsletters.